fits uh, Don's reading of the first chapter of Genesis and then the combination of that psalm, but there are sometimes you just get emotional in church, and I think that's a great thing. And boy, those two things, that, that last song just, just really emphasizes that first chapter of Genesis and the idea of creation and what God has done for us and giving him the praise. And, you know, I, it, for those of you that don't know, I, I, most people I think here know me by now, but uh, I, I've been around here for a long time. You can tell by the gray hair, but it's a long time. Um, we were walking, looking through some photo albums this week, and Faith saw some pictures of me. Say, like, Dad, when I was a baby, you didn't have gray hair. Say, well, maybe there's a strong correlation. I'm not sure. But uh, she couldn't believe all these pictures. She doesn't remember me without gray hair. I say, well, well that may, maybe that, there's a strong correlation there. But uh, I, am, I am not a pastor, but I did promise God. I was telling, I was telling the Lichties and the Osbournes uh, before the service that about six, seven years ago, I, I promised God that um, if an opportunity came to speak, I would do it. And man, what are I doing? Um, I... I like to speak to kids. I, the youth group is fine. I, I've been a chemistry teacher for, for 22 years, and uh, I, that's no problem. I can speak on that all day long. Um, and, I, and I was telling, I, the, 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 I think the easiest part is because when I go in the chemistry room, typically I'm the smartest guy about chemistry in that room. You know, that's, so that's easy. So I'm, I'm the expert. But when I come here and I know that you guys have much more knowledge than I do, and, and uh, it, it intimidates me, you know, and so for me, that's, that's a difficult part of speaking, but I promised God that I would, I would stretch myself, and so I stretch myself, and uh, today is one of those days. When pastor uh, asked me to speak, I, I didn't hesitate. I said, yes, I'll, I'll do it, um, but it's, it's not my, my strong suit. Uh, speaking of, of science and chemistry and and the, and the like is, is what, I, what I really do and really are passionate about. But I find myself more and more as I, as I get older, I, I, get, I get goosebumps. I actually get goosebumps when I can connect what I teach for my job with the God of the universe. If I can do those two things, I mean, now, I just mentioned that I am actually getting goosebumps. And I, and I love that. That's, that's why I do what I do. I, I left Corning Incorporated as a chemist and uh, became a teacher and in doing so, uh, substantial pay cut. And the people at Corning just thought I was nuts. What would you, why would you do such a thing? Because I truly believe that God put me in a place of influence for young minds. And, and, and by doing that, I've always challenged myself. And since day one, I've been teaching chemistry. Uh, the state requires that we teach evolution. It's required in the state law, which is fine, I can teach evolution, but it does not say that I can't teach creation. And so I do that. And I'm going to give you a little example of how I do it. Um, this sermon idea came to me this spring. Uh, Pastor David Jeremiah, if you, I'm just up at that time in the morning. I listened to him in the morning. And he was doing uh, a study at the end times this spring. And, and one of the things he talked about was the judgment seat of Christ. Not the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment, all right? The great white throne judgment where non-believers get, are judged. But the, the judgment seat of Christ deals with us standing before Christ, wearing nothing but our righteousness. And he painted a good word picture of that when he was describing that. 
You know, I'd be standing before Christ with my righteous acts. That's all I'm wearing. And my worry is, am I going to be naked? Yeah. I was worried about it. I was just thinking. It really made me reflect on some things. And so what I decided to, to speak on today is the evidence of God. And I call it the evidence of God because I'm going to talk about three things. Evidence of God in science, which I do all the time. I'm going to do just a little bit on that. Uh, evidence of God in society, and then evidence of God in yourself. And that's kind of what I focus on because I'm thinking about when, I, when this came to me, the fruits of the Spirit, the nine fruits of the Spirit, which we, we read, in, if, you, if you read it in the beginning, that was our verse uh, from Galatians 5, uh, the fruits of the Spirit. And for me, if God is in you, there should be evidence that you bear. And that's, that's the evidence of God that we're kind of looking for. Um, the Fulcrow girls I thought might be here, so I'm glad they're not, actually, because this activity that I'm going to do with you, they've seen before, and I want to give it away, all right? So I start, I start creation evolution with a box, all right? Now, science to me is observations. You know, we, we talk about making observations and forming hypotheses and then creating theories. You know, we test our hypotheses, and, and from that we create theories. So we start with this box that I've made, we get to observe the five sides of the box, but we can't see the sixth side. So our goal is to draw a picture of exactly what the bottom of this box looks like by making the observations of the five sides we can see. And so I walk around the room like I'm doing now, and I spin this box around, and usually right away people see maybe an observation that may lead them to guess what's what a pattern maybe we call this the pattern box. Do you see any patterns? Anyone see a pattern here on this box? Just those four sides alone, we can see a pattern. Anyone? Oh, horseshoes. The words on the opposite side kind of go together. Horse and shoe, playground, super. Right? We're gonna guess. And so what I do is I draw a picture of the bottom of the box, and we put our guess in the middle. What did you guess? Super glue. All right, super glue. So we put glue on the board. That's what a picture of the bottom of the box. Now, there's other things on this box. If you notice the top corner, you'll see some things in the top corners of this box. Do you see any pattern there? What is in the top left corner of the box? A-E-I-O-U, one of those vowels is missing. Which one is missing? You are missing. I agree. I agree. Sometimes you are missing. All right? So we'll draw the box. We'll put glue. And we'll cut you in the upper left corner because all the other boxes, based upon our observation, seem to fit that pattern. All right? Now, the tough one. The tough one. This is the challenge now. We're looking at the bottom numbers. There is a pattern all right, there is a pattern to the bottom numbers. If you can pick it out, usually this takes a while. I may have to help you today. All right, there's the top number is a six, but there's numbers in the bottom corners. What are you thinking? I see a four, a five, a six, a six on the top, and then a four over there. Two fours, there's only one five, and there's two sixes. There could be a, maybe a missing five, right? Does that make sense? Could be a missing five. Could be, all right? There could be another pattern if you look even deeper. You know, it always reminds you of the uh, Lion King when you look harder. 
I always tell my kids, look harder. How many letters in the word play? Four. What's the number on the other side? How many, words in, how many letters in the word ground? How many, what number's on the bottom side? Six. Does that make sense? So if we look, does that work for horse and shoe? Five and a four? So at the top is six. So what's that tell us about the word on the other side? It's not glue. That, and it's a great thing that it's not glue. You know why? Because it just goes to prove that now we have to change our hypothesis. We gathered more evidence, and now we have to change it. Right? So that's, that's how I start off chemistry, because God put me there, I believe, to create thinkers. I want, I want people to think. I don't want them to take somebody's word for it. I want them to make some observations for my hypothesis. Sometimes your hypothesis will have to change. Now we know, since there's a six on the top, we don't know, but we're hypothesizing, right? Says so that's a six. Was the, was the number on the other side still a five? In our case, a four, 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 or four, 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 yeah. So that still fit, right? But we also could be look harder, and maybe we could guess that the word on the other side is a six-letter word. Does that make sense? So for me, this is how I start off teaching chemistry. Like day one of, of my chemistry class, first-year students, this is what we do. And the reason I do that is, we talk about scientific evidence. I, I ask them then, how did we get here? How did we get here, you as a person on this earth? How did we get here? And of course, they're going to spit out what they've been indoctrinated with since kindergarten. All right? They got here because there was a big bang. Well, then I asked them to explain this big bang that they've heard so much about. So in the beginning, what exploded? Because they said something exploded. Well, what was it? It was a speck of dust. So in the beginning, speck of dust. Right? And this speck of dust contained all the matter of the universe, and it exploded. And through random chance and billions of years of time, here we are. Right? Here we are. That's, that's evolution. Right? And I, of course, I, I go through it. I, I, I kind of... I don't... I don't make fun of it. I just spell it out like they have it spelled out. But it sounds different when I say it. I don't, I don't know why that is. <laughs> so we're saying there was nothing, but all of a sudden there was a speck of dust, right? So there was nothing before. There just a speck of dust appeared. Okay. And then it blew up. Yep. What, why did it blow up? It just did, right? Okay. It blew up. So you're saying all this stuff spread out in all different directions and then started coming back together, organizing itself, Right? In certain areas. As a matter of fact, in this one, there's a big ball of gas, and then in three chunks of matter later outside that, there was this thing called Earth, and it all formed. And not only did it form, on that Earth, there was this substance called water. Now, we had to have water, because water is necessary for life. So in this mud hole that we have created on this third rock from this star, through random chance, an explosion of catastrophic size, in this water, all the atoms necessary, because we're studying chemistry this year, all the atoms necessary for life came together at the right concentrations, temperature, and time, and the right orientation at the exact same moment to form life as we know it. And then from that, those little things floating around in the water, there's a life. There was one cell. And I guess it got lonely because it wanted to talk to someone, so it split itself and made another one. 
right? I mean, that's what, they, that's what we're teaching, right? My, my version sounds a little bit different, but it, it's what they were taught, right? And it split, and there was more cells. And I guess they got crowded, and they got wishful thinking, and one day, one of them, I wish I had legs, I can crawl up on that brown stuff. And guess what? They sprouted legs. They sprouted legs and started walking around. They got legs. And then they were walking around, and they're like, oh, I wish I had wings so I could fly up in that blue area. And guess what? They sprouted wings and started flying around. So from that, then, there, there was different animals and different kinds formed over time. And then over time, uh, some of those things evolved into different shapes. And here we are, you know, because you've seen, the, you've seen the, the poster, right, where you're walking upright, right? All of a sudden, you're walking upright. So, that, that, yeah, yeah, yep, yep that's, that's what we've been taught the whole day. Great, that's awesome, okay. So, by that, kind of recognizing that a, it's a little bit, right, maybe I'm, this sounds kind of really bad. So, well, is there an alternative? I mean, you have a couple of theories what's on the bottom, because usually, besides one word, they'll give me a, a few words that could be on the bottom, you know. So, that, yeah, well, yeah, there's that creation. Theory. Oh, what are those creationist people? What do they believe? Well, they believe that, you know, in the beginning, God. Oh, wait, God. Well, so let's put this on the board. So on one side of the board, I put, in the beginning, speck of dust. On the other side of the board, in the beginning, God. Now, I make sure I really emphasize. And that's big G God, right? It's not little G God. We use big G God here. We could do that in school, public school. It's okay. That's big G God in the beginning. What did he do? Well, he created everything in six days. Well, they always say seven. Every time they say seven, no. He didn't do it inside. He created everything in seven days. Nope. Then they start thinking, yeah, yeah, he did. No, no, he didn't. Then they think, oh, six days he took a day off, right? He had a day of rest, right? So I got to remind him how it really goes. Yeah, 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 six days. Six days of creation. And we read that. That was awesome. So creation, people kind of get it. Okay, so everything evolved over time in this creation? No, no. As Don read, God created different kinds. He created everything with a special purpose. Everything has a purpose. Who's to rule over all this? Man. So man's different than everything. We're not just another animal, as we've been taught from speck of dust. Right? So it really kind of comes, it keeps going, it keeps going. All this evidence, all this evidence that they're gathering. So you see the wheels starting to turn because they've never had to think about it before. Ever in their life, they've never had to think about what they believe. Because they believe that's on the bottom of that box. They believe there's something there. Right? Because they gather some evidence. But they've never had to think about their beginning. And that's why I asked them, first thing, why are you here? And so what they come to tell me, and we go through the whole creation thing. So I have two lists on the board. In the beginning, speck of dust. In the beginning, God. And I have them split themselves. Because tomorrow, they're going to come in with three scientific evidences to prove to support their hypothesis of in the beginning. So, the question is, what's on the bottom of the box? Wouldn't you like to know? I wasn't there when the box was created, and that's how I end it. I don't tell them that. And it drives them nuts. It absolutely drives them crazy. No, I got to know. How many people here, are like, you got to know what's on the bottom of the box right now? That's awesome. You're going to be great scientists. That's awesome. That's what I tell them. You're going to be great because you, you have a desire to know things. That's great. I want you to know things too, but I want you to find out. And you can't find out by looking at my box. 
You got to gather your own evidence. So that's how I started. You know, and I and I can speak entire, I can speak days on on the science portion of evidence of God because I think there's a lot of that, and we do that in our class. Right? I'll give you a couple that my kids use. They bring back to me. So we, next day we do a creation evolution debate, and the creation evolution debate is for me. It's it's fun to watch. So I get to watch. I watch them as people, and I watch attitudes change. I watch the diehards. They're really. I mean, they're. They're in there, but they've never had to think. But when they start presenting their arguments, it's fun to watch them change. I've had people in the middle, can I switch sides? In the middle, because this is the thing that I've been believing in since kindergarten is not holding water right now. Is there any way I can switch sides? I said, yeah, I'd like you to choose a side. I want you to choose a side based upon the evidence that you've gathered. And so it, for me, that's the part, that's for, and again, I get, I get goosebumps talking about that because I think God put me there for that reason. Put me there to create people that can think for themselves. And that's what I want. I want people that can think for themselves. So the evidence of God, you know, becomes pretty apparent and it's a fun thing for me to do. Um, so I'm just going to give a couple of three. I'm not going to go too much into these because, again, I, I could go on for days. But carbon dating, you always bring up carbon dating. What's... What's the deal with carbon dating? Well, carbon dating is, uh, without getting too sciencey, um, there are three kinds of carbon: carbon 12, carbon 13, carbon 14. There's, and carbon 14 is is not stable; it's radioactive. It means it's going to break apart. And, and the only thing difference between those three is that they have different numbers of neutrons in the nucleus, and that extra neutrons makes the nucleus unstable. It, it shakes and breaks. All right. Well, carbon 14 is only in things that consume carbon. And carbon in the air from carbon dioxide, carbon in the grass that they eat, in the food that they eat. So that carbon is in there, all right? So based upon that, the half-life of carbon, the half-life of carbon is uh, 5,700 years, all right? So every, every half-life, every 5,000 years, there's half the amount of carbon-14 as there was previously. And that just keeps going. So there comes to a point where you can't measure the amount of carbon-14 into something. We don't have instruments that go that sensitive. All right, so carbon-14 deteriorates over time. And only when it was living could it consume the carbon. So based upon that, at the most, at the most, carbon dating is relevant for about 30,000 years. After that, you can't use carbon dating as a way. But we're carbon dating things that are millions of years old. What's a fun thing is you take things that you know are current. This was made in 1925. And you carbon date it. It dates for billions of years old. You know, so you, 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 go, you can research this stuff. I'm not making this up. You can research it, and you'll find out the same thing. All right, so carbon dating is a perfunctory, all right? Uh, the common one they use, and it's kind of fun to watch people's faces. Um, if we evolve from monkeys, why are there still monkeys? Yeah. I get that one a lot. Like they use that one a lot. Yeah, if we evolved from monkeys, then why are there still monkeys around? Hmm. And it's fun to watch the other side try to argue that away. So that's kind of fun for me to watch. Uh, the last one is God used the Big Bang in millions of years to create everything. You know, we can melt the two together, right? That's awesome. We could, yeah, yeah, we can do creation evolution, kind of put it together. Millions of years. And, you know, a day to God is not like a day to us. You know, maybe that's millions of years for God a day. Okay. Well, good, because Don just read us a creation event. In day three, God created plants. Millions of years later, he created the sun. 
wait, wait, how do, how do plants survive without the sun? That's awesome how God just laid that out, right? He laid that in order. So you, you can't argue that. You can't argue that. You're not going to live millions of years without the sun if you're a plant. So I, I, those kinds of things. And now, now you see them. Now you see them. Start to question things. And that's what I want as a, as a teacher, as a scientist. I want them to start questioning things. So question what, because I've been told things before. I, I told Paula, we went to uh, the Grand Canyon in, in Arizona. And if you haven't been there, please put it on your list of things to do. Because it, there is no picture, no video that you could ever see that will get you that perception of how deep that is. When you go out there and stand there and look, it is really breathtaking. It actually makes you, you know, almost dizzy looking. Oh, it's, it's incredible. And you, if you have to, you go see that. But all around there are little placards. You know, and when I went there, I read all those little placards about, you know, this layer is millions of years old, and this one is more, and this is, and you talk about all that. And, oh, isn't that nice? Why did I not question those things? I get so mad at myself. I'm like, why didn't I? I didn't know anything. I, no one told me that. Huh? I guess that's just the way it is. Yeah, I didn't think. I didn't was thinking for myself. And I share that story with my students. I want you to think. I want you to question things because the placard says that you believe it. Next thing you're going to believe everything on Facebook, right? Ah, yeah. Social media, right? So there's lots of things there that we we can go with for the science. Um, I'm just going to give you a, a real quick video. If we get it to play, uh, it's just a small glimpse into the complexity of one cell. The Harvard University put this, uh, put this animation together about a, uh, the inner workings of a cell. I'm just showing you a small clip of it. Uh, if you want to find out more, just, just search in a Harvard cell on YouTube. There's actually a narrated version, so it tells you exactly, if you're into the science part of it, what is going on in each of those little segments. But if you think, if you can watch this video and tell me this happened all at once by random chance, then I will believe evolution. But just watch.
to me, that's just an amazing thing to watch. Um, as, a, as a chemistry teacher, you know, for me, I know that each one of those particular things that you see moving there are made up of, of billions of atoms. Atoms have no brains. They can't think for this. How they know to organize themselves into those things to do those specific tasks. You know, that, that part to me is the amazing part that God has done. Even just the simple part of a nucleus of an atom. You know, we know opposites attract, right? But in the nucleus of an atom, we have protons, which are all positively charged, smashed together, living near each other. What holds that in there? They, they want to be apart. Now, incredible to think about how all this came together. So, again, I, I could go on and on with the science part of it, but I, there's three things I, I kind of wanted to do. Evidence of God in science, we've seen some of that. Evidence of God in society, and this, by me, this I'm meaning, um, uh, read a book a few years ago, and I'm kind of going through it again. Um, it's a book called, by Jeremy uh, Brooks, it's uh, God's Not Dead. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. But this is the book that kind of goes with the, uh, Rice, Rice Brooks, I think it's who it is, right? And then he's a pastor, and he's wrote this book that kind of provided evidence uh, behind the movie. And uh, very, very good if, if you're in apologetics and you wanted to read a little bit, get a little bit deeper. Uh, I also recently uh, purchased a copy of Evidence That Demands a Verdict. If you haven't put, added that to your repertoire and you are into apologetics, that's another good book uh, for you to read. But um, just a quick things about society. Uh, atheists are definitely don't want um, Christian ethics anywhere. Uh, it's no more evident than the current uh, battle with the Supreme Court nomination coming up. Um, definitely uh, going to be a battle there. But uh, Romans 1, 28 and 29 says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over the, to a depraved mind so that they uh, do what ought not what to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greedy, and, and of greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. I haven't seen that anywhere, have you? You know, we, we think about those things. You know, God has given over the mind. Because knowledge of God... Um, and I think this was in the God Not Dead book. The knowledge of God is like an immune immunity for our soul. Right? If, we, if we have we have the knowledge of God, it's kind of builds up your uh, immune system. The knowledge of God is an immune system for our souls. Uh, you almost always see uh, uh, after the uh, tragic events, you know, mass shootings or, or what have you. Um, how did this happen? You know, that's always, almost every reporter, there'll be someone after, after seeing, I, you know, it was surreal. You know, I don't know how this happened. You know, it almost seems like a, it's unnatural. And, and it is. It, it, it is unnatural if you have a knowledge of God. But without good, there can't be evil, right? Without good, there's got to be evil. Matter of fact, Frederick Nietzsche used the phrase, God is dead. Not that God existed and died. He was referring to the impact uh, on morality if the idea of the Christian God disappeared. No God, no morality. Darwinian thought of the survival of the fittest, of the fittest leaves no room for morality. It is survive and survive alone. Survive and thrive at any cost. 
the thought that moral law points to the existence of God was a central claim on the writings of C.S. Lewis. I know some of you like his writings. He said, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got the idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? Hmm. Richard Dawkins, if you know anything about Richard Dawkins, he is a stout atheist and very um, opinionated on, on that topic. He himself had to admit, and he is quoted here, to live our lives in a Darwinian way, to make a society of Darwinian society, that would be a very unpleasant sort of society in which to live. He's also acknowledging that you, you just, we didn't have a Darwinian society. We can't live in that society. Now, can you see in nature that? But man is not nature. We're created in the image of God. Hmm. Interesting. Humans are spiritual. They have a choice. They have a free will to do good and evil. That's our choice as humans. But God defines evil. He denounces evil. And he defeats evil. And you think about that in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. He defeats it for good. He can't defeat it if we didn't give it to us. It's amazing. So, again, society, I'm not going to spend too much time on that, but I would ask you to turn to Matthew 7, Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 20. And like my daughter used to say, make it rain. You know, the turning of those pages just sounds like rain. I used to love that. One of the things that kind of Impressed me, I don't know, it's probably 10 years ago when I got on the deacon board. Uh, reading around, we, we read scripture at the deacons' meetings, and uh, the different versions of the Bible at the deacons' table. You wouldn't think that was a big deal, but to me, that was very, it, it made an impact on me because we weren't stuck. We weren't stuck on that. We didn't get stuck on it. It's King James only. That's the only one. Well, my, my, my Greek's a little off. I probably should go back to that one then maybe, right? Because I, I don't really understand some of that, but the, the Greek version of it, maybe we should go back to that one. But it was awesome to read from different versions. So I don't care what version you have. Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 20. Can we read that together? You will recognize them... By their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits." And again, that, that idea of cutting it down, thrown into fire, brought me back to my beginning of this sermon, where it came from. Standing at the judgment seat of Christ with all the other things burned away, and all I'm wearing is the righteousness. The righteousness of the, that I've done. Scary thought. 
Because God gave us free will, we have choices that we make every day. These fruits of the Spirit, there are nine fruits of the Spirit. We saw those in Galatians 5, right? That can impact every day of your life. And uh, again, David Jeremiah had a book out called um, Life Beyond Amazing, I think it was. Living a Life Beyond Amazing. Uh, Dealing with the nine fruits of the Spirit. Uh, Again, it's a very good book. Um, He goes through those things. And I'm going to kind of go through those quickly here today. Um, Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, right after that, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. To me, that's a sobering thought. To me, that's the sobering thought. Could you imagine sitting in a church your entire life and going before God and saying, I never knew you? That's a scary thought to me. These nine attributes, these nine fruits of the Spirit should be, should be out there for people to see in your life. Do you have these nine characteristics? The first one is love. It is the greatest of all the virtues. Summed up, I think, by, in, by Jesus in John 13, 34, probably the best. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 1 Corinthians 13, ooh, we know that one. All right, this is one that kind of bears me when I'm, t- when I'm dealing with people. Right? Do they know I love them? Do my kids at school, do my kids in my house, does my wife know that I love her? Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Is that how I come across? A sounding brass or a clanging cymbal? If you don't have love, if you do what you do without love, that's what it comes across like. Matthew 5, 43 through 45 tells us, not only to love our enemies, but bless those who curse you and do good to those that hate you and pray for them. What? Hey. Come on, I thought this was going to be easy. You know, I, I, I said the, the, the verse, you know, I accepted God in my life. I, now I have to do all this? No, you don't have to. The Holy Spirit that's working in you. That's the key. It's as unnatural. That's unnatural. You think about that. You know, not only... Do you love the, your enemies? But you're going to pray for them? Oh, I don't want to pray for them. They're my enemy. You're supposed to do good. You're supposed to do good to them. Love is a verb. We often say that at the Herald House. I can tell my wife I love her a lot, but I don't do anything around the house. Yeah, I love you. Thanks for this dinner again. Okay, here's my plate. and, and Take that back to the sink. Thanks. Yeah, really? Do you love her? Really? Are you helping out? Are you doing the things that show that you love it? Love is a verb. Love is a verb. It's an action word. All right? Second one is joy. Defined here as an inward hope despite outward circumstances. Ooh. Differs a little bit from happiness, doesn't it? All right? We have joy because we have an eternal perspective knowing all the suffering is temporary. Hmm. 
That eternal perspective makes a big difference, doesn't it? You probably know this. I fill in the blank here. Okay, this is the fill in the blank time. I do this with my kids at school. All right. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, man, rejoice. Right? Talking about joy. Talking about joy. There's a, a story of a London headmaster. And one of his students was... Uh, Observing him, and this guy was just always nice, always upbeat, always positive. And uh, finally, at the you know, end of the course, the, the student asked him, so why, why are you like that? Why are you so upbeat? Why are you, why are you so positive? Why, there's something different about you. I don't know, really know what it is. And he used this analogy. He said, joy is the flag that is flown from the castle of your heart when the king is in residence. Now, if you don't know anything about the, the queen, when the queen is in residence in the castle, her flag is up. You know she's there because her flag is up. Joy is the flag that is flown from the castle of your heart when the king is in residence. Hmm. Jesus in your heart. Joy should be your flag. Everyone should be able to see it. Everyone knows that the king is resident in your heart. Um... Let's see, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's tons of verses in here we can get to. Some of you may not know the real joy because you never asked Jesus into your heart. Maybe you can't fly that flag. We can fix that. We can fix that. Next is peace. A supernatural calm in the midst of crisis. The ability to bring harmony to divided factions. Peace. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Fill in the blank again. A peace that surpasses all understanding. We can't understand it. People outside of Christendom outside of Christ, that's unnatural. It surpasses their understanding. The next one is long-suffering, also sometimes referred to as patience or enduring, enduring. The ability to hold up over a long period of time, also known as persevere, right? If you persevere. Um, if you've not read the book of Hebrews in a while, that's a pep talk on not giving up. Read the book of Hebrews. That's a pretty good pep talk for not giving up on perseverance. James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, I count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Hmm. So, James talking about patience. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 talks about staying focused on the goal. You read those verses. Fill in the blank. Jesus said this. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what... Is that long-suffering or what? He's hanging on a cross. For what? He did nothing. He was a perfect, he was a perfect sacrifice. Perfect. 
Next, kindness, also known as compassion, is generosity and consideration toward others. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, through Christ, forgave you. Do you have that kindness, that compassion, that, that forgiving spirit? The next fruit, goodness, means moral excellence. We already talked a bit about morality. Moral excellence, Galatians 6.10. Therefore, we, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. That was interesting. Now, I've read that verse several times, but that emphasis stood out to me this time, especially to the household of faith. Galatians 6.10. Faithfulness may know that better as integrity. Right? These fruits that you're wearing, People are evidence, these things are evidence in your life. Being trustworthy or loyal, another word for trustworthy is the integrity part. Um, I was on a submarine, and we used to have what's called periscope liberty. Periscope liberty is, hey, we're going by some kind of important thing right now. Come up to the periscope and take a peek. It's like you got off the ship for a second. So I remember going, getting off, and we were in the Mediterranean on a, on a med run, and uh, they announced Periscope Liberty. So you have no idea where you're at in a submarine. There are no windows. You're not looking out for fish or anything like that. All right, so we were there, and uh, Periscope Liberty came up, and you, everyone, you're in the line. You take a peek and see what they're looking at. Okay, and, and you go on, all right? But the thing that we saw was the Rock of Gibraltar. That's what we saw, the Rock of Gibraltar. Do you know that? There's a famous, there's a, there's a company that uses the Rock of Gibraltar as their emblem. Do anyone know what that is? Prudential, right? Get a piece of the rock, right? Get a piece of the rock. So for me, that was kind of, yeah. <laughs> okay, Rock of Gibraltar, okay, next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was really great. I, you know, that's Periscope Liberty. That's, wow, it's, we've been underwater for three months. I got to see a rock. Thanks. <laughs> it's really good. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, the, the, you know, the idea of uh, building a firm foundation. That rock for Prudential, I mean, that, that, that thing clung. That, that, that's part of their logo now. You know, the, but I think it's the idea of, of faithfulness and integrity, of having that rock that you can build on. Uh, can you think of any biblical examples of people that are pretty solid, that had faithfulness and integrity? I think of three big ones that I think of, Job, Joseph, and Daniel. Uh, three, three ones that come to mind pretty quick, all right? Um, I think faithfulness and integrity kind of means, can we, can we walk our talk? Can you walk the talk? You know, you meet a lot of people who can talk the talk. I mean, they, they really, they're good at it. They can talk it. But can they walk their talk? And that's the difference with people have integrity or not. Does our behavior match our beliefs? Hmm. Some ways that we, uh, that we have or we can show integrity. Keep your word. Be who you are. Hmm, be who you are. No matter where you're at, you're the same person. You know, with, when I'm at school or I'm in my house, are you the same person? My wife says I use up all my humor at school, so I come home, I don't have any left. That may be true. I don't know about that. One. So it's things I've got to work on. You know, these fruits, you've still got to form them up. Um, faithful people can be counted on. Is that your reputation? You can be counted on? You don't have to go around and follow up, make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. I'm telling you right now, young people, you want to be employed? Be faithful. 
Be faithful. Be one of those people that they can count on. Um, be strong under fire. I did a baccalaureate a couple years ago, and in my, in my baccalaureate talk was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Talk about courage under fire. When everybody bows down, you're the only one standing. Yeah, you're going to come under some fire there. And actually, okay, came under fire. Yeah, yeah. Like the furnace. I, I, I caught that. Um, how can you do it? Are you accountable to someone? That sometimes helps. Are you accountable to someone? Be it a spouse or just be it a friend. Someone that you can say, would you be my accountability partner? Someone that calls you out on things. Hmm. David Jeremiah shared a, shared a story about one time he was in a hurry and he came to the meeting and he parked in a in the no parking zone because he just had to run in for a minute. He had a guy at his church called him out on it. So, yeah, but I'm David Jeremiah. No, David Jeremiah, I, I knew that. I knew that. I, that was wrong to do that. And the guy questioned me. Hmm, that's amazing. Just because he wanted integrity. So he just made him think. The guy held him accountable, right? Over 40 times in the Bible, there's the one another, the one another passages, I call them, right? Bear one another's burdens, right? There's tons of those one another passages where you should have an accountability partner. You should be working with someone, right? The next fruit is gentleness or humility, the power to control your reactions to difficult people and situations, Oof. Ugh. I don't want that fruit. I don't, that, that's a tougher fruit to grow. Have you had that? That's a tough one. You know, if someone says something that's, um, how should I say, not really intelligent, I, I want to, there's a thing in me to emphasize that they just said something that wasn't that intelligent. That's not what they need to hear, okay? They, that, was that... That's not the fruit, right? That's, boy, that's, that's my nature, you know. I try not to do that, but that's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Hmm. The greatest biblical picture, I think, is from John 13, 12 through 15. Let's turn there. John 13, 12 to 15. Give you a while to find it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You ever sing that song when you're looking for books of the Bible from Juana? I have. We used to play that all the time in the car for the kids. And so now I'm singing that song, especially the Old Testament. Okay, there it is. You know, I, that's how I am. We are John chapter 13, 12 to 15. When he had washed their feet put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I, so I am. If I then, your Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Do you remember that picture of Christ washing the disciples' feet? And they were just, they can't believe it. This is, this is the Christ. He's washing our feet. No, no, that, that, no, that's why he came. That's why he came. 
What an act of humility. The God of the universe washing the disciples' feet. Hmm. Interesting. Ways to gain humility. Ah, can we gain some of these? Here's an easy one. Start serving. Start serving. That's, that's getting outside yourself. Start serving. Pastor Rue was always good for me to, to see. He was a, definitely a servant's heart. I mean, he was, I mean, there was sometimes I really didn't, don't help me, please. But he would come. He would come to help. I, I put him in a charge of, all right, you hold the flashlight then. Okay, that's, that's, I don't want you touching wrenches or no, don't turn anything, you know. Um, but always, always willing to help, always willing to serve. Um, hang out with ordinary people. All right, snobby people brood other snotty people. You know, they're just kind of that way. Who did Jesus hang out with? Not the cultural norms, right? Not the cultural norms. Hang out with ordinary people. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Oh, that's a tough one for me. We just had a conversation. I was just having a conversation with Jet the last couple of weeks about that. Jet is like his father. He takes himself way too seriously. Yeah. If he makes a mistake, he's like, oh, it just, it just falls apart, you know. Where Matthew, my other son, eh, whatever. Yeah. Oh, I did that again. Yeah, he's, he doesn't take himself seriously. And sometimes, you know, there's a balance there. You know, sometimes, a little more seriously would be good. You know, that would be nice. But there's sometimes, you know, just don't take yourself so seriously. Uh, let's see. Spend time with children. Um, David Jeremiah shares a story. Um, he's getting ready to read the, the Bible story. And uh, at the inauguration, and they went over with him Crystal clear. You do not vary from the script. You stay to the script. The script's going to be on a podium. Don't ad-lib anything. So it's his turn. He's going to read Romans 5, 1 to 8. And he gets up there, and the person that read before him took it. They took the script. And so he's standing there, not varying from the script because now there's no script. And so this is live broadcast during the inauguration. David Jeremiah, going to read this scripture. David Jeremiah did memorize Romans 5, 1 through 8. There's a long pause. So when he gets, finally the person recognizes what happened and they bring the script up to him and he, and he goes. But online or on the air, there was a, there was a long pause there. So after, the, after everything went through, someone came to me, man, I really enjoyed how you uh, really paused to make it reverent to the scripture reading. And they go, oh, phew, they, you know, that's what they thought was going on. That's really not what happened at all. He shared the story. But he asked his granddaughter, Grandpa, for being a pastor, you sure did take a long time to find Romans. <laughs> <laughs> 
Kids kind of keep things in perspective, don't they? We had a great time this weekend uh, with the Bakers, and uh, their little boy is just, he is fun to watch. I am telling you what. Uh, Malachi was just, uh, he's a pistol, and he's always, and he's part monkey, I think, because he was climbing, (laughs) checking out things, like, I wonder what's in that cupboard up there. I can get up there. You know, he was just, he was just a fun character to be around. Uh, we, we were playing some cornhole with him, and uh, he made up some rules, helping us out here and there, helping to score for us. That was nice. So for Paula didn't like us, it, he was throwing my bags in and leaving hers on top, so that worked out all right. But spend time with children. They, they, they'll bring it back to reality for you. They, they, they put things in perspective. The last thing I have here is self-control, self-discipline. The ability to restrain inappropriate passions and appetites. We call that the flesh. Can you restrain the flesh? Is doing what is right, it is doing what is right even when you feel like doing what is wrong. It's knowing you can, but deciding you won't. It's postponing temporary, immediate gratification to achieve goals you know will bring lasting rewards. There are two natures in you. The old nature and the new nature. The new nature in you is from God. Galatians 5.17 talks about the, the lush, the flesh lusts against the spirit so that you don't do the things you wish. Tom Landry, most of you know that I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan and don't hold that against me, but it is America's team, America. Um, and that's when he had a good coach. Uh, Tom Landry, he said the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. Self-discipline is tough. I've heard it said you'll never regret a workout. My wife tells me that. I don't know because I don't work out. I've, <laughs> I, I know I need to. I know I need to. It's self-discipline. You know, I, I did that with Bibles today. There's some things I, uh, I, I, I can't. I'm not a late-night person. I can't stay up late and study. I, I fall asleep every time. It's terrible. But I am a morning person, so I set my alarm an hour early before anything else, and that's the time I get it in. That's the self-discipline piece that I've, I've built into my life, that part. And there's lots of other things I don't, you know. Hey, uh, diabetic boy, maybe you shouldn't eat any of those carbs. I know, but cake, I love it. Donuts, I love donuts. Yeah, but you're, you're diabetic, you may want to consider, man, that self-control is tough. There's lots of things in your life you have to find self-control over. So we've seen evidence of God in science, society, and self. What kind of fruit are you producing? Is there evidence of God in your life? If someone looked at you, can they see any of this fruit? I think um, as we go, as we close here today, just some time of reflection, right? Just some time of reflection. I'm going to close in a prayer. Um, Service, the worship team is going to come up and, and close us with a song. But as, we're, as, we're, as we sing this song at the end, just use it as a reflection time. Right? What kind of fruit are you producing? What kind of fruit do you have in your life? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who, who gave us the opportunity, Father, to choose the free will to to choose to accept him. 
Father, these fruits of the Spirit are necessary for a, for a complete life, a, a life beyond amazing, as David Jeremiah quotes. Father, we, we ask your, for your strength. Father, we pray for anyone here today that they're not sure. They're not sure if they have the Holy Spirit living within them. Father, we ask that the, they meet with the people up front. We have people praying, Father. We just ask that they come forward and pray the prayer of salvation. Recognize that they are a sinner. Recognize the need of a saving God in their life, that Christ being the only perfect one that was sacrificed on the cross and died, Father, for, for our sins and for what we've done. And Father, but he, he defeated the grave and, and rose three days later and is waiting for us now, building our home. Fathers, give us eternal perspective on life. Give us the ability to be self-disciplined. Give us the love of Christ, the joy, the peace. Father, give us the patience, the enduring, the perseverance. Father, we, we thank you for the generosity you've shown towards us. Let us show that generosity, Father, to others. Father, just watch over us and keep us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.